Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that desires to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And today we are working our way through the uh, the book of Ephesians still. And uh, we find ourselves in session two and uh, chapter number three. Uh, last time that we were together, uh, we were in session 11, and we, we looked at Ephesians 2, 16 through 22, closed out chapter number 2, and we took a look at how by removing the enmity between Jew and Gentile, God has made one new man. So therefore the Jew and Gentile are now fellow citizens in the household of God, and uh, we also took a close look at what Paul is talking about when he refers to apostles and prophets there. Uh, so today we're going to break into chapter number three and uh, verse number one. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. So for what cause? The fact that Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ. For that cause. Interestingly, while Paul was physically a prisoner in Rome, he viewed himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not as a prisoner of the Romans, but a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Um, Ephesians 4.11, I therefore, um, or Ephesians 4.1, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you should walk worthy. So he's the prisoner of the Lord. Uh, in Philippians 1.1, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, so he saw himself first and foremost as a servant of Christ, and now he was merely a prisoner of Christ. Uh, he said in 2 Timothy 1.8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. So he viewed himself first and foremost being imprisoned as a servant of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that his imprisonment was for the Gentiles. Um, and again, it was because... His ministry was to the Gentiles. The Jews hated him because of that. They were the ones that persecuted, prosecuted him above anybody else. And his mission as a prisoner was to preach the gospel. Um, in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So he says, for this cause, for what cause? The fact that, you know, God revealed unto him that Jew and Gentile were now one in Christ. That was the message that he was preaching. And now he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And again, the ones that came after Paul the most vehemently were the Jews. Uh, Gusick says that Paul knew that Jesus was the Lord of his life and not the Romans. He was... Jesus's prisoner, and I agree with that for sure. So for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. If, he says in verse 2, ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. Now, this is a very important verse in that it means the very thing that our Reformed brethren deny uh, to, or it mentions, it mentions the very thing that our Reformed brethren deny today, which is dispensationalism. Um, they'll sometimes say, are you a dispy? 
yes, I'm a very strong dispy. Um, the word simply means administration, economy, or stewardship. And this dispensation, administration, economy, stewardship, whatever you want to say, it was, excuse me, given by revelation to Paul. That's simply what it means. You know, so when people say, <clears throat> I'm a dispensationalist, um, again, if you've heard of the administration of the grace of God, that's fine. You know, if you want to use that word, if you have heard of the economy of the grace of God, it's still differentiating it from something else. If you've heard of the stewardship, I mean, it was given by revelation to Paul. The word dispensation just means a dispensing during this dispensing, during this administration, during this economy, during this stewardship. I mean, it means the same thing. Um, and he also uses the word in 1 Corinthians nine seventeen, For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel has been committed unto me. Okay, the word's biblical, Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That's the time period in which, you know, uh, we're living. I mean, he hasn't gathered everything in Christ yet, but he's going to. There's going to be a dispensation of the fullness of times, which is different from a dis the, the fullness of the Gentiles, Fullness of the Gentiles is when the last Gentile comes in. Dispensation of the fullness of times, I believe, occurs at the second coming. You know, when he will gather together in one all things in Christ, but that's going to be an administration. You know, that's going to be an economy that's going to happen. Uh, Colossians 1.25, where have I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So the word dispensational is a biblical term. It's a biblical thought. It's a, it's a, it's a biblical teaching, you know, and again, our reformed brethren, they'll get all, uh, all airy about that. But it's in the Bible. If you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, guess what? And it was given to me for you. Uh, you know, interestingly, the character most similar to Paul in the Bible is Moses. In that both of them received new revelation. You know, Moses was given the law. Uh, Paul was given the gospel of grace. And it happened to both of them in Arabia. Interestingly. Uh, in Galatians 4.25, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage to her children. You know, both of them uh, receive their revelation in Arabia. Um, and again, Paul here in Galatians, we're not in this book right now. We already went through it. But, you know, it's talking about the law and grace, you know, comparing you know, the bondwoman with the free. Uh, in Galatians 1.17, we see a hint of this. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. So Paul and Moses share some similarity in that both of them received new revelation. One received law, one received grace, and it happened in Arabia. 
Um, so one was the beginning of the dispensation of the law, which we're going to talk about under Moses, and one was the dispensation of grace, which was under the Apostle Paul. Um, it needs to be recognized that while God does not change, his ways of dealing with man has changed. And there's basically two methods of biblical interpretation today. There are basically two lenses today through which to interpret the Bible, and that is covenantalism and dispensationalism. And you and I are one or the other, period. It's the lens through which we want to see or we choose to see Scripture. And, you know, at the risk of oversimplifying both, and they, there, there are much m- many more details, the difference between the two is that covenantalism, which is what we call Reformed theology, interprets the Scriptures through the lens of covenants. You got the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic, the Davidic, the New Covenant. You know, you got covenants, and they see the scriptures through those covenants, and that's that is very oversimplified. Yes, there were covenants. The difference is, as dispensationalists, as right dividers, as mid acts in our theology, those covenants have nothing to do with the body of Christ today. They, I, they have nothing to do with the Gentiles. But, you know, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. On the other hand, dispensationalism sees the scriptures through dispensations, which are defined as, particular, as a particular means by which God deals with man and creation during a given period in redemptive history. That's a lot. Now, at first, they may sound very similar. You know, the covenant folks say, you know, God deals with man in covenants. The dispensational folks will say, no, God deals with man in dispensations or particular periods within redemptive history. Um, Again, they sound similar, but R.C. Sproul of Ligonier Ministries explained it this way. Of course, he's gone to be with the Lord. Awesome Bible teacher, but, you know, he was reformed in in his view of the Scripture. He says it this way. He says, dispensationalism differs from Reformed Covenant theology in a number of ways. So here's R.C. Sproul's own words. Dispensationalism differs from Reformed Covenant theology in a number of ways, but the most significant is the idea of two peoples of God. Covenant theology affirms that there is only one people of God, and thus continuity between the people of God in the Old Testament and the people of God in the New Testament. In other words, there is no quote. um, He's saying that, you know, there's only one group of people. God doesn't differentiate between the nation of Israel and the rest of the world. There's only one people of God that is a continuous flow from Adam and Eve all the way to you and me today. Um, and he, he says covenant theology, now listen to this, covenant theology is not, as some dispensationalists assert, replacement theology. Because in covenant theology, the church is not technically replacing Israel. 
the church is the organic continuation of Israel or of the Old Testament people of God. The oneness of the people of God is evident by an examination of several New Testament texts, and he lists Romans 11 as the proof text. So covenant people believe that it's only one people of God, and dispensationalists will say, no, you guys are saying that we have replaced the nation of Israel. You know, that's where we get them teaching that we are Israel. They're saying we didn't replace Israel. We've always been Israel. We've always been that one people of God that God has been dealing with since the garden. Vice in dispensational theology, we make a distinction between the nation of Israel and the body of Christ. Two different organisms. Um, And, of course, he uses Romans 11, which I think is an error because whenever I talk with someone about mid-Acts, theology or mid-Acts dispensationalism, the first thing they'll say is, well, what about Romans 11? Well, the problem is that Romans 11, talking about the grafting in, has nothing to do with the body of Christ. Now, they'll use that to say that we are now one. You know, the the covenant reformed theologians will say Romans 11 proves that we are just one people of God now. But, But Romans 11 is not dealing with the body of Christ. It is dealing with the blessings that the Gentiles receive as a result of the natural branches, which are the Jews, being broken off. Um, So there is a difference between uh, dispensationalism and covenantal theology and how we see either one people of God or two people of God, um, the nation of Israel versus the body of Christ. In dispensationalism, we keep those two apart. There are promises given to the nation of Israel that have nothing to do with the body of Christ and vice versa. Um, We will say all prophecy has to do with the nation of Israel, not with the body of Christ. Now, some distractors will say that dispensationalism did not originate until the 19th century with John Nelson Darby and subsequently popularized by the Schofield Bible. Well, there is no doubt that John Nelson Darby taught dispensationalism, and there is no doubt that the Schofield Bible, which was C.I. Schofield, um, popularized dispensationalism. However, I believe that the early church was dispensational to begin with. It's always been uh, dispensational. And I I wrote an article. um, It's called Dispensationalism Revisited. And it's on my website. Um, And this is the point I make here. Let me kind of expand this a little bit for you. I believe that the apostles were dispensational in the way that they viewed the scriptures. To them, it was simple. The Messiah had come, and as per Old Testament prophecies, he was going to restore the kingdom and fulfill the Davidic and Abrahamic covenants just as God had promised them. Those promises were made to the nation of Israel. They were not made to the body of Christ. No, they did not see the cross. This is evidenced by their increased questioning as to who would be the greatest in the kingdom and Peter's rebuke of Christ for even suggesting his purpose for returning to Jerusalem. Eventually, the cross came and they were demoralized. But after the resurrection and some obvious clarification laid out by Christ during the 40 days before his ascension, 
they were re-energized because the purpose of the cross had apparently been made clear to them, and moving forward, their focus stayed the same in that they were still looking for the restoration of the promised kingdom. This is evidenced by the fact that their message never changed. It still remained as it was in the Gospels, repent and be baptized. They were still looking for the kingdom that was promised to them. Remember, Jesus came and his message was, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what they were looking for. As they were coming back to Jerusalem from Capernaum, they said, it says that they expected the kingdom of God to appear at any moment. The James and John's mother, when you come into your kingdom, can my boys sit on your left and the right? They were waiting for a physical kingdom to appear. Sadly, their message was ultimately rejected by the nation of Israel. And God raised up the apostle Paul to, to start what would become the church age. At some point between his departure and return to Jerusalem, 14 years later, the mystery of the body had been revealed to him, and he was preaching the gospel of grace. You know, so we believe that dispensationalism, I mean, dispensationalism is periods of time that God deals with people. And during the dispensational law, the nation of Israel was saved under the law by adhering to the law. Was there an element of faith? Yeah. If you didn't have faith, you wouldn't have did the law. I mean, we're still, you know, today in the church, <clears throat> we hear this all the time. We today are saved by looking back at the cross and those in the Old Testament were saved by looking forward to the cross. No, those, those in the Old Testament were saved by keeping the law, by being obedient to the law of Moses. And the proof of their faith in that was that they were obedient to it. They wasn't, I mean, yeah, there were prophecies that a Messiah would come and restore the kingdom. But during the kingdom, they wouldn't, you know, I mean, the kingdom didn't need to be restored. David was sitting right there. So, no, I mean, it was the dispensation of the law. Uh, and God, I believe God deals with men in dispensations during this time of redemptive history. The covenants are not for the, the Gentiles. We're not under a covenant. You know, people argue, well, we're under the new covenant today. No, we, Tonto, are not under the new covenant today. There is no new covenant at the moment. The, the, the Jewish nation rejected the offer of the kingdom they rejected the new covenant that Christ came to offer them. And therefore, Romans 11, those branches have been broken off and they have been set aside. And we are in this dispensation of grace now. Again, dispensationalism is a method of interpreting history that divides God's work and purposes toward mankind into different periods of time. In the most popular view, there are seven dispensations. Now, some could argue that there's nine, and I'll explain that at the end. But the first dispensation is um, the dispensation of innocence. And this covers Genesis 1, 28 through 30 through 2, 15 through 17. It began with creation, 
when God created Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden, and they were innocent. They knew nothing about sin. They didn't have guilt. But it ended when they disobeyed by eating the forbidden fruit and were expelled from the garden. So it lasted only until innocence was lost. So that was the dispensation of innocence. Um, And Adam and Eve were expected to obey the words of God. Of every tree of the garden you shall eat, but of the tree that's in the midst of the garden thereof, you shall not eat of it. In the day that you eat it, you're going to die. They ate it. And God showed them grace. God's always. That's why I really don't, the, the term dispensation of grace, um, you know, God has, it can be a misnomer. God has always been gracious. God has always um, distributed grace. He distributed grace to Adam and Eve. I mean, they did die physically, or at least they began to die physically uh, in the garden, but they immediately died spiritually. So it was, that's why the Bible you know, talks about a second death. You know, we die twice. You know, you die once physically, and you die the second time spiritually when you're eternally separated from God. Well, that began in the garden when the, when the innocence was lost. Man began to die both physically and immediately he died spiritually. And then we enter into the second dispensation, which is conscience. Um, conscience, the word con is with, Science is knowledge. Uh, This period covers Genesis 3 through Genesis 8. It began with the first sin and ended with the flood. Excuse me. So it covered Adam and Eve's eviction from the garden until the flood. It was a time when there was really no rules. There was no law. There was no human government. Man just lived based upon the dictates of his conscience. It demonstrated that man will do, what man will do if he's left to his own will and conscience, which is not very good, right? <laughs> so first God dealt with man during the dispensation of innocence or the administration or the economy of innocence. Then he dealt with him in conscience. And then human government was the third dispensation. And this period covers Genesis 9 through 11. It began with the post-flood. It began post-flood and ended with the Tower of Babel. Babel. Uh, it was during this time that God laid down the law of capital punishment and told men to scatter and fill the earth. They didn't do it. Instead, they decided to build a tower, and God stopped it by confusing their language and forcing them to scatter into language groups. So that's the third dispensation of how God dealt with man. And then we come into the dispensation of promise. This period covers the Genesis 12, when God made the promises to Abraham, and ends with Exodus 19, under the leadership of Moses and the giving of the law. So this is the period of promise. When God told um, Abraham, when he made all the promises to Abraham, uh, let's see, we can see that right here. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, into the land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I'll bless thee. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless them that bless you. I'll curse them that curse you. And in thee all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God made promises to Abraham. And it continued through 
the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And it ended with the Jewish exodus from Egypt under the leadership of Moses. And you go into the fifth dispensation of the law. And this dispensation is usually Exodus 20 with the giving of the law. And most will say today ended with Pentecost. This is the dispensation of the law. You know, the Ten Commandments and all the other law was given through Moses to the people of Israel. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> the ceremonial law, uh, the civil law, you know, the, you know, all the law was given. The Ten Commandments, all of that was given during this time period. And man was held accountable. The nation of Israel was held accountable to the law. And this is the dispensation law, and it lasted until it was suspended at the crucifixion. Uh, for the most, for most, but I would argue that law did not end until the rejection of the kingdom. Um, again, and that that's not a subtle thing. There, most will say law, the dispensation of the law started under Moses, which I agree with that. I mean, that Exodus chapter number twenty, starting in nineteen, God gave the law to Moses. When did the dispensation of the law end? Now, most dispensationalists today will say it ended with the birth of the church in Acts chapter number 2. But I would argue the church was not born in Acts number 2. The church was not born until the first convert came into the church, which was the Apostle Paul in Acts 9. So I would argue that the law, the dispensation of the law, did not end at Pentecost, but it ended... Um, with the grace gospel, which was given to the Apostle Paul. Um, and then, of course, that started grace, which is the dispensation of grace. Commonly accepted period for this dispensation is Acts 2, which, again, they will say the church was born in Acts 2. Uh, you look up some of the old guys like Bullinger, Darby, Schofield, um, uh, I'm thinking of some others here. Um, old guy that I love to read. I'm trying to think of his name. Even, I think, J. Vernon McGee says there is nothing Christian in Acts 2. There's not. Acts 2 was Pentecost. It was the fulfillment of Pentecostal Pentecost and the offering of the kingdom to the nation of Israel. It was not a Gentile thing. So the commonly accepted peer for this dispensation is the birth of the church to the millennial kingdom. Now, I would argue that it began not at Pentecost, but it began with the conversion of Paul. And that happened in Acts 9. And Paul tells us that in 1 Timothy 1.15 when he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That word chief is first. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me First, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So Paul was the first. That word chief there is first in the KJV plus chief, protos, foremost, beginning, first of all. And it's the same word 
that is used in the next verse, in verse number 16, when he says, for this cause I obtained in me first. It's the same word, protos. So the verses read, this is the faithful saying, worthy of acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am first. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth long suffering for a pattern to the rest of you guys. So grace began with the Apostle Paul, not Acts chapter number two. And grace will end not at the millennial kingdom but at the rapture of the church. When the church is raptured, grace will end. So that is the the sixth dispensation of grace. It is a time in which we live that was never in view in the Old Testament prophecy. The Old Testament prophecy did not see the period that you and I are living in. The Old Testament prophets did not see this postponement. They did not see the rejection of the kingdom by the nation of Israel and the setting aside of Israel. They did not see that. And that's where I make the argument, we are not living in a time of prophecy. You know, that's a totally different Bible study. You know, I was talking to a brother this morning. Oh, uh, 1948, Ezekiel 36 was fulfilled. No, it wasn't. Uh, they haven't been given a new heart. Uh, they're not, you know, I mean, none of that is happening today. Ezekiel 48 is, has not been fulfilled. It will be fulfilled, but not now. It'll be after the rapture of the church. Um, I refer to this period as the postponement because the clock stopped ticking between the 69th and 70th weeks of Daniel. I mean, if the nation of Israel had accepted the offering of the kingdom by Peter at Pentecost, they would have rolled right into Daniel's 70th week. And that is the whole purpose of the Hebrew epistles. Yes, Hebrews through Revelation. All of those books were written to the nation of Israel about them going through Daniel's 70th week. Because that is what the 12 thought was going to happen next. And it would have, could have, should have happened. But the nation rejected the offer of the kingdom and therefore they were set aside. So we are now living in the dispensation of grace. In other words, God didn't do what he was going to do. Instead, he showed grace to both Jew and Gentile. He showed grace to the Jew in that he did not destroy them for rejecting him. And he showed grace to the Gentile in that he gave them the gospel that the nation refused to give. Randy White makes some very good points, and I'll close with this, um, about the dispensation in which we live. It offers individual versus national salvation. The salvation that was offered to the nation of Israel was a national salvation. It was not an individual salvation. The entire nation had to have repented and been baptized in order to accept the kingdom offer. It is unrelated, he says, to the kingdom. This, this gospel, this grace period that we live in is totally unrelated to the kingdom. The kingdom is for the nation of Israel, not for the Gentile. It has a savior rather than a Messiah or king. 
He is a Jewish Messiah. He is to be the Jewish king. It is sal- it is its salvation does not require works. It does not allow works because it is fully a gift of God. So anybody says to be saved, you got to believe and no, you just got to believe, period. But we stick all kinds of things on that. No, it's just belief. That was the difference between the gospel that the 12 taught and the gospel that Paul taught. The gospel that the 12 taught was repent and be baptized. The gospel that Paul taught was believe, period, just believe. And then the fifth thing that Randy points out is that it is available to anyone, anytime, anywhere. And that's true. So that is the dispensation of grace. The next dispensation will be the millennial kingdom. This period will begin at the second coming. Now, again, remember, the dispensation of grace will end at the rapture. And then Israel will go back under the law during Daniel's 70th week. And it will end with the second coming, or it, yeah, I mean, that tribulation will end with the second coming, and the millennial kingdom will start. And people say that is the seventh um, dispensation, the millennial kingdom. Uh, the old world is destroyed by fire. The new heaven, the new earth of the Revelation twenty one twenty two will begin. Now, some will say there's actually nine dispensations because they'll say the tribulation period is actually the seventh dispensation. But bear in mind, it's still the dispensation of the law. It'll just pick up where it left off. And then they'll say the millennial reign or the millennial kingdom is the eighth dispensation. And then eternity, once God establishes a new heaven and a new earth, will be the ninth dispensation. So dispensationalists don't all agree, but they will say that there are these dispensations. Some will say seven, some will say nine, and I've even heard of like 12. But, but, but I think this is, this is kind of a good format to follow, a basic understanding of what dispensationalism is. And, uh, you know, Paul says at the end of this that this was given to me to you word. This dispensation of grace has been given to me, to you word. Um, and you word means you and me. We are the you word. F.F. Bruce points out that this marks out his Gentile readers as the recipients of this grace. And again, only Paul was the only apostle who could possibly make this claim. And he does it all throughout his letters. This dispensation of grace was given um, to me, to you. So let's look at that final verse that we just read here. Um, If you have heard of the dispensation of grace, that's the dispensation in which you you and I are living in now, which was given to me, to you. That's called the revelation of the mystery that was given to the Apostle Paul sometime beginning in Acts 9, until he completely understood it. Uh, It was first verbalized or written in Scripture in Acts 13. But somewhere between 9 and 13, Paul began to understand this revelation. And he obviously had revelations, the Bible says, given to him regarding this dispensation of the grace of God. So 
Hope that helps. That's a lot of information there, but I hope you enjoyed the study, and God bless you, and I hope you have a great day. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you, is working all things out for our good.